our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, December 11th, the Candy Cane Lane edition. I'm Dan Coyce. I'm a writer and editor at Slate and the author of How to Be a Family. And I'm the dad of Lyra, who's 14, and Harper, who's 12, and we live in Arlington, Virginia. Hi, I'm Jamila Lemieux. I'm a writer, cultural critic, and contributor to Slate's weekly parent-feeding parenting column. And mom to Naima, who's six, and we live in Los Angeles, California. Hi, I'm Michelle Herman. I'm a novelist and essayist and a contributor to Slate's Care and Feeding Parenting column. Also a college professor, and I am a mother to Grace, age 26, and I live in Columbus, Ohio. Hello, Michelle, and thank you for joining us as our special guest host this week. I'm thrilled to be here. We have a lot of care and feeding energy on this podcast today. Uh, So today on the show, we've got a question from a parent struggling to get into the holiday spirit And a question from a mom who is really wishing that her mother-in-law would stay in her own lane. Is it okay to be left out of traditional mother-child bonding moments? And how do you address it without feelings getting hurt? Plus, as always, we have triumphs and fails and recommendations. So let's start with triumphs and fails. Jamila, what do you have for us today? A triumph or a fail? You guys, it's about to get dark in here. (laughs) This is perhaps... Maybe this is my last show. This fail is so bad. This could be the end of mom and dad are fighting. This is bad. In well, fact, I'm excited to bring it to a close in this very <laughs> dark way. <laughs> I, I I am deferring to you, Dan, because I don't know that we should even air this. This is so bad. This is bad. bad. I'm really so I'm excited now. You. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I have been between tears and laughter and shocked ever since last night about a thing that happened. So obviously I'm talking about a fail. So one day last week, in fact, I think it may have been the day that we record the podcast. We were on the way to school. She said she had a stomachache. And as I've you know talked about before, she is very good at convincing me to allow her to miss school when she says she's not feeling well because I take her at her word, even though I know that her word is not always true. Um, so I... I Knowing that it was not a good time for her to have a fake day off of school, I said, okay, I'm going to drop you off. I'll go to Target. I'll get you some ginger ale and some Pepto-Bismol for kids, and I'll bring them back to the school. You'll take them. Um, I told her teacher, and I said, you know, if it gets worse, if you still feel bad in a little while, have her call me. One of us will come back and get you. I send her teacher a message, say, hey, she's got a tummy ache. I'm going to drop off some stuff. I do it. I gave her two mini cans of ginger ale, probably more than she needed, but one for the moment and one for just in case she needed one later. And I knew they weren't going to sit around and let her drink pop all day anyway. And I administered two chewable kids Pepto-Bismol tablets to her. And then I gave her a lunchbox that I had just purchased with the two sodas and the Pepto-Bismol in there. 
I had intended to give the medicine to her teacher, but like a lot of schools, the rule at Naima School is that parents are not allowed to come into the classroom for the majority of the day so as to not interrupt teaching, of course. So I didn't see her teacher. I only saw Naima. She was sent to the office to come meet me when I came back. So I said, okay, you take these two now. If you need some more, and I told her how many hours to wait, you know, let your teacher know that you're going to take some more medicine. Okay, cool. So maybe her dad picked her up that day and I pick her up the following night and she says, oh, I can't find the lunchbox that you just bought me. I said, what happened to it? I put in the lunchbox pail and it didn't, you know, I I looked for it and it wasn't there. Okay, fine. So I don't think again about the Pepto-Bismol. Yesterday, almost a week later, I pick her up from school and she's triumphant. Oh, look, I I found my lunchbox. Oh, great, Naima. Thank you. This would be like the fourth lunchbox that she's lost this year. So I was happy to see it make its way home. And so... Uh, We get home uh, and and I'm cleaning out the lunchbox. I find the Pepto-Bismol in there and the canister is empty. (laughs) There were 24 (laughs) Pepto-Bismols for kids Mm -hmm. in this container when I gave it to her. Or 22, because I'd given her two. I said, Naima, what happened to the rest of the Pepto-Bismol? Well, my stomach was hurting again. I said, okay, but wait, you misplaced your lunchbox what when did you have time to take all of these you're only supposed to take up to six in a 24-hour period oh well i i took them like every couple of hours i said but you're only at school from like <laughs> nine to six and 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 so so you're you're saying you took them every day last week yeah that yeah i took some every day Naima, you didn't have your lunchbox, but for one day. So with a lot of teeth pulling, I was able to determine and get a confession that my child ate 24 Pepto-Bismols in one day (laughs) because they tasted good. But (laughs) 24. But but wait, but she's she's fine, right? She is. And like. (laughs) I, I hope so. I mean, I did. I called poison control. You see, when you began by saying this was going to be dark, I was sure where we were going was that she had like appendicitis or something. And you felt like a I thought it was that maybe. she had sold she the Pepto-Bismol to her <laughs> So this right. is where our th- brains go, okay? I thought, that, well, I thought your fail was that she was genuinely sick. And she she might be. A drug she ate, Michelle, she ate 24 Pepto-Bismol. We don't know what this is going to This has never happened. There, what did poison control zero. say, Jamila? So, you know, he asked how much she weighed and how old she was and asked me to confirm the milligrams and each tablet of calcium carbonate on the container is 400. And, you know, he said she feels OK. She's she's fine. And, you know, it's been a week. She She's OK. If there was, you know, a serious stomach ache or some sort of, you know, bowel issue last week, um, you know, that would have been different. But she's fine. And I hope so, because who knows what's going on in that tummy of hers with those 24, yeah, I, 20, I, I, I really think she, I think it would have been more immediate. I do, because I I mean, this is not the place to tell the story, but I have an, an aunt fail of doing something like that to my nephew many years ago. And it was it mm-hmm. was an immediate response to the overdose of drugs. What's happening inside your daughter's tummy is that it is unbelievably coated yeah. with pink protection. Yeah. And she will never have a stomach ache again as long as she lives. This is good because she routinely tells me that school, like, oh, I ate, you know, like a grilled cheese and chocolate milk and bananas and spaghetti. So it's like you needed all of this. That's right. But like, 
it wasn't to be cumulative. It was supposed to be like two a day. So what I'm mostly freaked out about, I think she's fine. You know, even though she had been complaining about a tummy ache for a few days afterward, you know, one, this is somebody who complains about those things a lot, particularly if there's something going on she doesn't want to be doing. Um, and so she probably did have a tummy ache. She had 24 <laughs> Pepto-Bismol's. But what terrified me is that earlier that day, she had a headache, I hope, and, and hopefully not from calcium overdose from last week. I gave her two children's chewable Tylenols. And granted, that's a very different container. It's not something that she could open. Yeah. Um, and I'm surprised that the Pepto-Bismol container was so easy for her to open herself. But it, it's the same uh, type of medicine. It's a chewable tablet. It's a grape flavored. And, you know, I have to tell her, I said, Naima, if you had done that with this, you could have killed yourself. You know, oh. like you, if you had taken 24 Tylenols, this would be a different conversation. And, and, and they taste the same, you know, it's Pepto-Bismol actually tastes worse. It's disgusting. I can't, I can't believe it was that good. It was so good to her that she put aside everything she knows about anything, eating in class, having candy, medication, like all out the window. Like imagine risking it all for Pepto-fucking-Bismol. I cannot wait till she's <laughs> like 25 and writes a novel with the Proustian Madeleine being... <laughs> A Pepto-Bismol chewable tablet that brings her back to her childhood in L.A. Uh, I agree that that's the scary part of the fail, that it could have been some other medication that she so obviously disregarded all aspects of good sense to chase this one thrilling high. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, when I was a kid, I would down like whole bottles of Tums because they were like the closest I would get to candy. Oh, no. And they would just be like sitting in the medicine cabinet and be like oh these things taste great and i was just like chow down <laughs> on those things and i'm fine your daughter's fine the next time she says she has a stomach ache you can be like you can't have a stomach ache you had all that bismol. <laughs> do a couple jump inject let it move around your stomach that's right, that's <laughs> reactivate right. it uh all right that is a fantastic fail we are going to include it in the show this will not be the final mom and dad are fighting uh i i commend you for the the thoroughness of your fail. Great job. Thank you. Uh, Michelle, do you have a triumph for a fail for us today? <laughs> um, I have a triumph. I'm trying to decide if it's going to sound like a fail to people who don't have grown children or if it's just a, a kind of a subtle triumph. So the background is that um, my daughter and I were always very close. And when she left home way back in 2011 for college, she was really bad about staying in touch. Um, this was an issue from the beginning. She would go for weeks without calling and sometimes wouldn't even answer texts. And it was an ongoing thing. We talked about it and she made resolutions about it. And eventually I, I kind of got used to it. Anyway, we fast forward. She's grown up. She's out of college. She lives in New York. And she still is not great about keeping in touch. And this went on for the first few years. She would sometimes text, but we would often go a month without having voice-to-voice -voice conversation, which was very hard on me. And I finally proposed to her something that I had proposed in college that um, she dismissed immediately, which was that we set a weekly time to talk. Now, she dismissed it when she was in college because she said she had many friends who had like a Sunday afternoon conversation with their parents, and she would hear them. She would hear the, the friend's side of it, and it would be the most banal and superficial brief conversation. And she said, we were beyond that. She didn't want to have <laughs> So far beyond it, you didn't need <laughs> to talk at all. Exactly. If she doesn't if she have time to talk to me for hours, she didn't want to talk to me at all. So when I proposed it again, now that she's an adult, um, and I couched it in the most delicate terms, you know, because I didn't want her to feel like I was pushing it, 
um, on her, she was actually grateful. She said this would be a really good idea if we had a regular time because at this point in her life, what's happening is she's she's 26 and lives in New York City. She has eight jobs. So she yep. is incredibly busy all the time. And so we settled on Friday afternoons at 3, um, which she stuck to pretty well for many months. Um, and then she didn't always have eight jobs. But now that she's up to eight jobs, I keep saying this because I can't believe it. She only get two. Only two of them are paid work. Um, but, sure, yeah. But six of them are really important. She does really important work. Um, but it keeps her very busy. And, and she's constantly on the subway, you know, getting from one job to the next. Um, anyway, what happens most Fridays is she texts me to say, I can't possibly talk to you at three. Could we talk instead at five? Or could we talk on Saturday? Or could we talk on Sunday? Sometimes three o'clock comes and I haven't heard from her. And by 3.30 or four, I'll text her and say, are we going to talk? And I'll get a response out of her that way. It's an ongoing thing, as you can see. And it's, it takes up a lot of mental space for me. My guess is it takes up a very minuscule amount of mental space for her. But I'll bug her like to make sure we do talk every week. And I realize it's for me, obviously. She doesn't need to talk to me once a week. You know, we're still close. She loves me. And when we're together, um, as we were quite a few times during Thanksgiving week, because I went to New York, we'll talk for hours. When she visits, we talk for hours. And sometimes when she calls me on a Friday, while she's walking across Central Park to get from one job on the east side to a job on the west side, we'll talk the entire time. But it's not something she looks forward to all week the way I do. I wake up on Fridays very excited for my weekly talk with her. Okay, this Friday, um, she texted me to say, I have an incredibly busy day, and the whole weekend is nuts. Can we talk early next week? I'm sure we can find a time. And I wrote back, sure. And that was the last communication that we have had. And the reason this is a triumph is because I realize she really is too busy to talk to me. And I am able, finally, who knows if it'll last forever, to just step back and say she's living her life. She'll get in touch when she has the time to. So I'm calling it a triumph. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. That is a triumph. The, right. the question is, when she does get back in touch, how much guilt will you instill upon her for the time that it's been since she said, we can talk early next week? Zero? Um, I, will, I will do my best to instill zero. <laughs> because in the past, I have not been so great about that. And I uh -huh. think the fact that I'm not fretting, normally, I start to fret. At, at some point, I start to fret. I start to get anxious about it. I will admit it's possible that the reason I'm so okay with it is because I did just see her, you know, pretty recently. I was there till the Tuesday after Thanksgiving. We had dinner together several times. So I may be kind of riding on a high of we had such a good time together. I like right. to think that I am just growing up and learning to, to kind of step back. And uh, my goal is to be able to be flexible with her and be there when she needs me and and not demand that she perform daughterhood for me. That's it's one of my ongoing goals, actually. That seems really, really hard. I'm going to have the worst time with that when my kids are older and out Just of the house. Just give me a ring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I am the, the worst daughter on the planet. 
Well, and you know what? You're not the worst daughter on the planet. I mean, I was the worst daughter on the planet. I think what I realized, because I started calling my mother every day when I was in my 40s, um, when it occurred to me for the first time that someday my daughter, who was very young at the time, was going to grow up. And I was not going to hear from her, and it would make me miserable. And it was really the first time it hit me how little it would cost me to just call my mother and check in. And I started doing it, and I rarely miss a day. Um, but I went for there were years when I lived two blocks from my parents, and I would go months without seeing them or talking to them. I know. I mean, my hope is that my daughter will have the same revelation that I had once she has children, or that I'll be living around the corner from her when she has children. And this will not be an issue, but uh, or in her guest room. Yeah. <laughs> well, I promised her I wouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's. Um, I mean, I have lots of thoughts about this, but I think the being the parent to a kid after college is an area of parenting that people don't talk nearly enough about. Everyone has trouble with it, and you never hear anything about how hard it is. It's so much harder even than sending them off to colleges. Those listeners who would like to know more about the extremely close relationship between Michelle and her daughter <laughs> should read her excellent memoir, her excellent collection of essays on uh, motherhood, The Middle of Everything, uh, which will give you a whole new idea about what attachment parenting can be. There you All right. Go. I have a fail. Uh, my fail is that Lyra has this joke that she loves to tell. It's honestly more sort of like an anti-joke. It is so long, it's just endless. It's completely absurd. It has a completely stupid punchline. It's inappropriate for a 14-year-old to tell adults <laughs> as it includes a very prominent F-bomb. It's just like a bad joke. Honestly, it's a bad joke. But the first time that she told it to me, she sold it so hard <laughs> and she was so obviously delighted by this stupid joke that I could not stop laughing. I was just like so charmed by her enormous enthusiasm Aww. for this dumb bullshit. <laughs> and now, possibly as a result of this, she tells this joke to everyone. <laughs> we had friends over the other night, adult friends, and she told it to them. No one laughed. She, she told it <laughs> no! to both grandparents what? over Wait. Thanksgiving. They laughed sort of out of kindness, but even they could not disguise their dismay at the stupidness Who are these other – wait, 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 wait. <laughs> who are the adult friends who sat in your house and didn't laugh? Give your child a courtesy laugh. They're parents of another 14-year-old who mm. know that 14-year-olds don't deserve our courtesy laughs. Uh, so I feel like my fail is not only that I encourage the bad joke, but also that I keep encouraging it because – Every time she tells it to other people, I laugh really hard <laughs> because she does this like, huh? huh? Like razzle dazzle thing every time after the punchline. And I just You're laughing dead. thinking about it. I'm laughing right now. See, I think soon. this is a triumph, not a fail. I'm sorry. No, it's definitely a fail. She won't stop. Sometime really soon she's going to tell this joke to like the school principal or the Queen of England or something. And we'll be in the newspapers. <laughs> So anyways, uh, I'm not going to tell the joke here in this forum. Uh, listeners, if you want to hear the joke, sign up for Slate Plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, 
even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. All right, before we move on, let's do some business. Slate's parenting newsletter is the best place to be notified about all of our parenting content on Slate.com, including new episodes of Mom, Dad are Fighting, Care and Feeding, starring Michelle Herman and Jamila Lemieux, uh, and all our other parenting stuff. Sign up at slate.com slash parenting email. Also, it's just an email from me where I tell funny stories every week. Also, check us out on Facebook. It's where we find a lot of our questions for the show. It's where we talk about the show and the dilemmas that come up on it. And it's where we ban people who are jerks. Just search for Slate Parenting on Facebook. It's a really fun community and easy to find and easy to get into. In Slate Plus today, I will be telling the joke. Here's a quick sneak peek of what you'll hear if you have Slate Plus. I'd like to be the richest man in the world. I would like to have even more money, even more security, uh, enough money to solve all the problems of the world, to make myself comfortable forever. Please make that happen. The genie says, sure, no problem. He snaps his fingers. Boom. That guy is even richer. The two guys look at each other like, oh, yeah, you got me. The third guy goes, all right, uh, let me think about it. I think what I want is for my left arm to revolve counterclockwise <laughs> continually forever. To hear amazing jokes like that and to get ad-free podcasts, sign up for Slate Plus. That's our membership program. It's a great way to support everything that Slate.com does. For just 35 bucks for your first year, you can help A, cover the cost of producing Mom, Dad, or Fighting, and B, cover other lesser Slate shows. <laughs> and of course, in return, you'll get extended ad-free versions of this show and other lesser Slate shows and a bunch of other great benefits. So if you'd like to support Mom and Dad or Fighting, if you'd like to hear the joke, Go to slate.com slash mom and dad plus and join Slate Plus today. Finally, if you have a Slate fan in your life, you can find the perfect gift at the Slate shop. Pick up a pair of socks and dazzling Slate fuchsia or an ultra comfy hoodie, the finest hoodie I own, featuring the Slate asterisk. Between now and December 25th, we are offering 15% off at the Slate store using the code SLATE15 at shop.slate.com. That's 15% off shop.slate.com with the code SLATE15. All right, on today's show, we've got two listener questions that we're going to talk through. Both the questions were emailed to us. If you would like to email us a question, send it to momandad at slate.com, and then maybe your question can be read by the one and only Shasha Leonard. Hit it, Shasha. Dear Mom and Dad are fighting. How do you fight the holiday blues? December is starting, and I'm not looking forward to Christmas. There are typical stressors. Too much shopping, too many logistics, gendered expectations, travel, but I think for me, it comes down to our annual trip to visit family. My husband, 10-year-old, and I travel several hundred miles to visit my parents, siblings, nieces, and nephews for Christmas each year. And it's so hard. We all love my family, but I always feel so stressed. My parents live in a cold part of the country, in a very rural area. There's nothing to do but hang out at home with family. There are no convenient hotels and few activities. It's cold, dark, and cooped up. The boredom drives us all nuts. My son loves seeing his cousins, but disruption to his routines causes huge emotional outbursts or hyperactivity. He has ADHD and anxiety and is in therapy. I also have a chronic illness, and at the end of this, I'm usually feeling exhausted and sick. I don't really enjoy my Christmas presents, and during the celebration, I'm always on guard for my son to melt down. 
I don't want to stop visiting my family. I love them dearly. And school schedules mean that this is the only time my son can see his cousins during the school year. I just wish I could enjoy it more. Christmas gets me down. Good Lord, Shasha. Put a little razzle-dazzle on the letter with that, uh, with that delivery. I feel Impassioned so Impassioned read. Oh, my gosh. I feel so sad now. Letter writer, I can relate. I am not a holiday fan for some of the reasons that you mentioned and a whole lot of others. As a co-parenting mom, I've been, I guess, privileged uh, or disadvantaged, depending on how which way you look at it, enough that I'm able to tap out of certain holidays and say, okay, y'all, you know, little one will do this with her dad and her other family, and I will go be by myself and my ADHD and my anxiety. However, I relate to and understand when you live far away from your family and you've got kids that are on different school schedules that it's not often easy to get um, everyone together and the Christmas sometimes represents the only time that you can do that. And that sometimes we have to just suck it up and make the best out of a bad situation. However, what you're describing, I think, is more than just being cold, hearing the kids run around the house gets on my nerves, Christmas isn't going to be big fun for me. It sounds like it's really bringing you down and it's taking a toll on your physical health. And for that reason, you owe it to yourself to try to come up with a different plan going forward. And it may be too late to pull that off for 2019. But is there any way that this trip can be altered at all to make it more comfortable for you? Can you all be in an Airbnb instead of in the family home? Can you maybe spend a couple of nights, maybe two nights on the front end and one night on the back end in a hotel or an Airbnb so that if you're not able to um, be away from the family for the entire trip, that your household can have a comfortable place to be for at least part of it. Can you switch things around and do the annual trip during the summer when the kids are likely to be out of school um, and and out of school for some overlapping period of time in most cases, unless um, some of them are at a year-round school, but that's not the norm. So hopefully there's some period of time um, in the warmer months where perhaps you all can convene. You did say there are no convenient hotels, but perhaps there's an Airbnb available. There are folks that take advantage of the fact that when there aren't uh, hotels available, that there's still people who may need a place to stay. Um, can everyone go to a hotel or an Airbnb? Because what you haven't said here, so I'm just, you know, assuming is that you're not describing any prior attempts to change things around, just that this is how it's gone. It's gone this way for a long time and it hasn't been good for you. And it has been uh, somewhat challenging for your son because of his emotional challenges. I don't think you should decide that this is just what Christmas has to be and, and you have to make the best of it. I think that you should try to change things around. However, if you are saying, no, there's a lot here that you don't know, and, and it, this is an immovable trip, and it has to go down this time period, this location with these people, all I can do is try and survive it. Then let's talk about what trying to survive that trip looks like. Are you able to craft out some time for yourself where maybe you're just going to the Home Depot to run some errands for your parents or to the grocery store or Walmart, but that you're able to get away from the kids, get away from the noise. Perhaps you go with your husband, maybe you go by yourself and you just get away and it's quiet. 
Are you able to bring a book, a, a pair of headphones, um, you know, a TV show that you've been meaning to catch on for a long time and a tablet and find a corner where you turn off what's going on with everyone else and you take care of yourself? Uh, you didn't say much about your parents and their personalities, but I'm, I'm hoping that with them knowing and, and your uh, siblings and, and your husband would all know that you are living with a chronic illness, that you require uh, some accommodations or they, they should know that you require some accommodations that may be a bit different than what other folks visiting the house need. So if you're always exhausted and sick by the end of the trip, then this needs to be a more restful trip for you. You can't be the one first out of bed making Grand's biscuits and bacon for everyone. You can't be the one who stays up to wrap all the presents or put all the toys and things away or make sure that the house looks good for the holidays. Some other folks may have to step up and support you, but you have to, as best as you can, in this cold, dark, and and loud house find some quiet probably a tacky plug but if you go to slate.com uh there's a gift guide that i <laughs> that i worked with michelle on um and it's stuff that parents who have a stressful holiday season uh, ahead of them may enjoy um bluetooth headphones that are part of a sleeping mask you know you could lay down and zone out to some of your favorite music you can Bring a comfy robe and some comfy slippers. But whatever you do, you have to find a, a form of public solitude in the house and be away from them. Even if you're in the same room, you, you have to check out. You can't engage and, and be active for this entire trip. That's all um, very good advice. And I'd like to touch on two aspects of Jamila's advice, particularly. The first is this question of can you change up this trip? Can you change up the Christmas experience in a major way that might make it a lot different for everyone? And we don't know the answer to that question because we don't know exactly what the logistics of your parents' life is. We don't know if there are resources or things like that to change it up. If there is money floating around that you have, that your parents have, that your siblings have, and you can take one of these Christmases and turn it into a, like a destination Christmas in which even if it's just everyone going to the nearest big city to wherever this rural place is that your parents live, mm -hmm. if they you know, live in Dodge, Kansas, everyone goes to Denver or whatever, um, getting hotel rooms or a big Airbnb there is expensive but not insane and is a way to, I think, put everyone on a little bit more equal footing to help to give you and your child and your family a little bit more to do, to give everyone more to do, to get out from underfoot, uh, and to sort of break yourself out of this cycle. And now, it's totally possible that that's just a like a non-starter. There's no way you can make that happen. And it may be that you're facing a situation of, well, as Jamila says, you just got to survive this thing. One thing that I would tell you is your child is 10 your child is in therapy for ADHD and anxiety. I do think that as the next few years go on, it's not crazy to think that those things will get better and that your child will become more able to alter his routine, to disrupt his day-to-day -day life without having huge outbursts. And that 
it's totally possible you've already experienced your worst Christmas at this mm-hmm. house. That you have two to three more of them that are going to be a little bit tough as your kid grows and learns to accommodate things a little bit better. And that by the time he's 13 or 14, Christmas won't be so hard for him and therefore for you. Um, So I want to offer that word of encouragement, even if it's not like a true piece of advice. The other tiny piece of advice I'd give you is if you're going to be stuck in a dark house somewhere in the Great Plains uh, or wherever in the middle of December, you might want to get one of those seasonal affective disorder lamps and bring it with you and turn it on in your room and just like shine that fucker in your face for two or three hours a day and tell everyone that it's a medical procedure and you can't be bothered. Michelle, what do you think this letter writer should do? Well, I think you both have great advice for her, but I actually want to touch on something that neither one of you have addressed. And it may be because um, you, neither of you have done something like this, but I don't have a chronic disease, and even so, I announced very early on in my family life that we were not going anywhere for Christmas, that anyone who wanted to celebrate with us would come to us. We were going to start our own tradition. Um, I did that for Thanksgiving, too. I just made that announcement, Um, and I want to put in a plug for having Christmas at home with your own little family. Um, The way we dealt with it with my husband's family, who were very taken aback by it, because many of the other family were nearby. There was a family that was traveling from quite far to be with my in-laws. They were distressed about it, but I put my foot down because I really wanted Christmas to be pleasurable for my husband and me and our daughter, and I wanted to establish this tradition early. And we did, as Jamila was saying um, the letter writer ought to try to do. We did make other trips. Um, we did some low-key destination trips. We all met once at Tybee Island, which was not terribly far from my in-laws. And, you know, the kids chipped in and paid for the condo that we stayed in. Um, we met my in-laws halfway between where they live and where we live. And we made other visits to my in-laws uh, in the summertime when the cousins were all off from school and things were much lower key. I can't recommend that enough, not only for all the reasons that have already been mentioned, but because having holidays by yourself with your own little family is kind of fantastic. I mean, I want to I advertise the joys of doing it. We did it every year, and it was always really great. I mean, I think that's really good advice because, as the letter writer says, she loves visiting her family. She loves them dearly. But the thing that makes it bad is, in some respects, the Christmasness of it, right? It's the pressure and the presence and the chaos and that it's the winter and that you're stuck in the middle of nowhere in the winter. And the easy and obvious solution is to just Move everything don't to the do summer. it anymore. Yeah, right. Don't do it. Move <laughs> everything to the summer. Fucking have Christmas in the summer if you Why want not? Yeah, to have, yeah. I mean, have a second. Like, have a second Christmas. Call it or you know seriously. It, it, yeah, I really cannot recommend it highly enough. And to this day, I mean, my kid is coming home, bringing her boyfriend. We're going to have you know Christmas in Columbus, um, and it is just us. You know, if other family wants to, they can send presents, and and we do. We see the others at other times. I say do it. I'm very curious to hear from this letter writer about after this Christmas, 
how things were and how they're feeling about everything and whether they're ready to sort of take the leap and take this step, which I think would be hard for them, but maybe is the right step. Uh, all right, letter writer, we hope that this is useful. Please do reach out to us again uh, at com after the holidays and let us know how it went, if it was a little better, if it was even worse, if you're ready to pull the plug on Christmas in rural, wherever it is, uh, and what you think about these suggestions and whether they're totally off base. Thanks for writing in. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, time for our second question, once again, read by the inestimable Shasha Leonard. Dear mom and dad are fighting. I have a lovely mother-in-law, and I have a great relationship with her. She loves my children, ages four and five, and they love her. However, sometimes it feels like, in an effort to be an engaged grandmother, she takes many of the hallmark mom moments for herself. This becomes more evident around the holidays. There are countless small examples, such as buying the Easter dress, changing them into different outfits at key family gatherings, or bringing her own hair supplies for my daughter. There are more extreme and hurtful examples, like dressing my daughter in a christening gown to do an at-home baptism, or baking Santa's Christmas cookies without me. This week, she took them to see Santa first, and it was irritating. I would have loved to see their faces. I invite her to all the special things that I can for the kids and love to include her. I don't mind sharing moments, but I feel like she's squeezing me out and overstepping. She's already had kids. I can't help but feel resentful from time to time. To be fair, sometimes she will tell me her plan, and I am not as direct as I could be because it's an in-law situation. However, often I do not know of the plan or outfit until after the fact. I've addressed it with my husband, but he will not discuss it with his mother. He thinks it's sweet that she loves them so much. How would you discuss this with your mother-in-law? Am I sending mixed messages? Am I being petty, and should I let it go? Sincerely, a mom who wants grandma to stay in her own candy cane lane. Michelle, take it away. Oh, you are not being petty. You should not let it go. You are sending mixed messages, clearly. What made my ears kind of prick up was that um, when you say sometimes she tells you the plan and you're not as direct as you could be, you know, in a way, this is a continuation of what I said before about about Christmas and, and you know, tell, having to tell my in-laws we weren't going to come. If you have a chance to speak directly to your mother-in-law, you should always take it. If she tells you that she's going to do an at-home baptism, for example, it's... <laughs> 
I need pictures from the at-home <laughs> baptism. Because I was trying not to ask, but like, did she get a priest or did she just put her baby in some water? <laughs> I mean, I don't, you know. She got ordained herself through the Universal Life Church. As oh, a, well, me too. Then I could have done the baptism. <laughs> I was picturing the whole, I was picturing the minister, the whole thing there. I mean, clearly there are different levels of engagement here. Um, and I understand that Right now, it feels like they're all kind of smushed together, that the at-home baptism, the way you describe it, feels like it's coming in on you at the same level as baking Christmas cookies. Um, And I I understand that. I really do for two reasons. Um, One, because I am the kind of person who takes over. And I know in advance that when my daughter does have children, I am going to have to watch myself very carefully. I will not be tempted to do an at-home baptism, <laughs> but, but I can easily imagine myself going overboard and doing the kinds of things that should be reserved for the kid's mother. I can imagine it. It helps if you know that about yourself in advance and you are guarding yourself against doing things like that. It also helps that my daughter knows me well enough. And by now, her future husband knows me well enough, too, um, to know to protect themselves against my coming in and taking over. Um, But you've got to talk to your mother-in-law about it. Not only talk to her about it when she tells you that she's planning to do something that bothers you, but to have a kind of sit down over a cup of tea and have a general conversation with her where, as in all such conversations, you put the blame entirely on yourself. You know, you don't tell her that she's railroading you or that she's, you know, she's being challenging in any way. You talk about your needs and how, you know, how much you long to have these kinds of experience with your child and perhaps you're overdoing it, maybe you're too needy. Um, you're embarrassed about this. You're you can't. If only you know, you'd been more clear. Yeah, all of that stuff. Um, you know, when you put the onus on yourself, it always helps a lot. And all of that said, let me just pause to say, I think you can cut her if she's understanding about this. I think you can cut her slack around some of these areas. You know, I mean, having her bring her own hair supplies for your daughter doesn't seem to me, on the face of it, to be such a great overstepping of boundaries, you know? Um, I mean, I, I realize we all have different sets of them. Listening to this letter being read, I remembered something that I don't think I've thought about at all. So in years, my in-laws, we don't see very often. They live in a very rural area, very far away from us. And they only visited us twice, in the entire time my daughter was growing up, and I suddenly remembered that the first time they visited, my daughter was still a baby, and we had never used a stroller. I always wore her when we went out with her, um, either in a front pack or in a backpack, um, or I carried her in a sling. And we had this snazzy stroller that my parents had bought us, which later we used a lot when we went and lived in New York for a year. But in Columbus, Ohio, it wasn't especially necessary. And I was upstairs working, having left my husband and his parents to chat, and I came downstairs and discovered that they were outside, that my mother-in-law had strapped the kid into the stroller, and they were taking a walk. And I freaked out. I mean, I completely (laughs) freaked out that her first stroller experience... (laughs) 
<laughs> when I think about it now, I can't believe I was. I mean, I really I cried because unlike you, dear letter writer, um, I was not cautious with my mother-in-law. I yelled at her. Um, and I, you know, I told her how angry I was that she put the baby in the stroller for her first stroller ride without me. You know, I haven't thought about it in years. Now that I'm thinking about it, I feel really bad that I yelled at her about that. What a stupid thing to care about. But the truth is, when you have a little kid, I mean, you both must feel this way. You care about all kinds of weird things. Um, And firsts really feel like they matter, right? Sort (laughs) of. Well, but. but yes, but I mean, yeah, but I'm saying I'm putting the stroller in the category of the hair supplies. I mean, no, that no, was I understand. An over, but I do think you can sort these things. The way I handled it with my mother-in-law was totally wrong. I'm not advising it. But I do think there's something in between um, not speaking up when you have the chance to and then yelling at someone after the fact. There's definitely. I mean, I bet ground. she never did that again. Uh, oh, well, no, she never did anything again. <laughs> I think, unfortunately, I, I terrorized both her and my mother, to tell you the truth, about you know doing anything first for my daughter. This is interesting. Like, my impulse upon reading this letter was to look at all of these things that this mother-in-law is doing and to be like, oh, my God, thank God someone wants to do this with a kid and I don't have to. Uh, you know, like, I don't give a shit about going to Santa or, you know, getting all the different outfits at key family gatherings or the Easter dress or stuff like that. And so I just had this vision of like, if, and I didn't really even have to think if, when my mother-in-law often took the initiative and did stuff like this with our kids with or without asking, I was always like, ah, great, great thing for you to do with your grandchildren that I have zero interest in doing. And I know that this is not applicable to this letter. And well, I know but, that I, wait a minute. this and woman did, cares wait, about wait. this stuff. Did their mother feel the same Thank way you. that you did? That was the question I had. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, for the most part. Yes. Really? Yes. Well, I mean, so clearly this is a matter of temperament, right? Right. Um, <laughs> and interest. And interest. And interest. Because like dresses and Santa pictures and hair stuff, all cookie, all that. That's me stuff. These are things that are specific to me. There are a lot of things that my little one's uh, grandmother, my mom or her dad's mom or or her stepmother or anyone else could, you know, take on that I wouldn't care about. And I'm sure we'd all say there's some stuff, you know, that comes with parenting that we're not terribly invested in, interested in. Um, I I think it's that a number of these things are things that she really, the letter writer really would have wanted to do with her children. However, I wonder how many of them fall in that category and where is there the I'm just tired of you and your overbearingness. So even the thing that would have been great for you to take on is now part of you not, you know, respecting the boundaries that I didn't set. Yeah, which is why which is why a conversation is is definitely in order, right? Because she's conflating all these different things, it's really hard to know. Um, if there are areas that she'd be okay with, I mean, man, I would have been really happy if somebody took my daughter to like her first football game or something. Luckily, right. I didn't have to do it either because she didn't care. But, you know, things that don't matter to me. If someone else had taken her to her first rock concert without letting me know, I would have been pretty pissed off. Right. That was a very special thing. And I'm sure, Dan, for you too, right? If somebody took your kids to a concert for the first time. Wouldn't you in have fact, felt like that was something someone fact, did? Uh, the parent of a friend invited Harper to her, what would have been her first concert 
And in order to make sure that was not her first concert, right. I got tickets to a concert okay. before that okay. one. Okay, so you get <laughs> it. I could take her to. So you get it. So it is exactly it. what, right? It's it's the stuff that we care about. Yeah, and but I was still being petty. I don't uh, think so. But I don't think so. I think, <laughs> why, why is that petty? I mean, if it's it's a it's going to be a special thing between you and your kids, and they're always going to remember it. I mean, my daughter will never forget her first concert. It was a really big deal, and I am really glad that I was the one who took her to it. That is all true, but there's a line in this letter that I really want to call people's attention to, which I think is important, which is what her husband said when she, like, got into it with him about this. Right. He thinks it is sweet that she loves them so much. I just hope that this letter writer does not forget that it is sweet that she loves them so much and that a number of these things are just as important to her mother to experience with these grandchildren as they feel to her. And that she gets these kids all the time, every day, and has a lifetime of chances to do yeah. these things. But her mother-in-law does not. And I just want to make sure that when she sits down with her and has the conversation that you recommend, Michelle, which she absolutely should do, and when she phrases it exactly as you say she should, that she bears in mind that she's not only phrasing it that way because it's just easier to not tell the mother-in-law that she's railroading her, but that she's phrasing it that way because there's a 99.9% chance that the mother-in-law's acts are happening not because she's a bitch who wants to railroad her daughter-in-law, but because she cares about these things so much and loves her grandchildren so much and wants to share these things with them too. So please just keep that in mind. I think that's fantastic. And I hope that you will have that conversation with my daughter on my behalf someday. Because <laughs> 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 I guess because some of these things seemed so over the top, um, I got kind of lost in that. But you're absolutely right. I'm sure this is coming. You know, I wouldn't think for a second that the <laughs> grandmother is a, a bitch from hell who's trying to ruin her daughter's life. But, but that she's this, you know, so many of these questions tend to be about boundaries that she just right. isn't really paying attention. It's interesting that, you know, reading it again and again, that she she changes their outfits at family <laughs> gatherings and brings her hair. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, which I first read it, I was like, okay, she, you know, she buys some clothes and hair stuff. It's like, yeah. wait, no. So I've gotten my daughter ready for the day and we're at dinner and grandma's like oh thank god you're here come here and she takes yeah. her in the bathroom yeah, that would really piss outfit. me off that would <laughs> re- because it, it is so much about that that's wrong but whereas i would just be like you have some clothes you want her to wear great go for it i don't yeah. care what she is wearing I, I you think... if it is important to you go to town mm, yeah and so I, yeah Go ahead. Hey, speak for us, mothers. Speak for us. just dads and moms. <laughs> As someone who, there are times like I've picked up my daughter from her dad or like we've met up at the mall. Like she's spent a couple days with him. Now she's coming back to my house for a few days. And I've had an outfit in my bag and a brush and a comb and a barrette because I was like, I knew that what I was going to get was not mm-hmm. what I wanted for her to be that day. Um, and, and and what maybe perhaps what she, she likes how I, I dress her up and do her hair and stuff. It, it's our thing. And I think that um, I would wager that this mom and mother-in-law, she says they have a great relationship, but I think that they have a polite relationship. 
Yeah. Which is different than having a meaningful one um, where they've really connected and bonded over certain things, because I think that if they had and not saying that you have to or that you should, you know, maybe they live in different parts of the country. Maybe they are so completely different from one another that they've stayed on their, you know, opposite sides of uh, this man's life as best as possible to keep the peace. But um, you can share in the Easter dress Christmas cookie stuff together too. You or you can negotiate what are the things that I absolutely these are probably things that either maybe she doesn't have daughters and always wants to do with daughters or she misses doing it with her own daughter and she wants to do it with yours but remind her that these are special important things for you to do with your daughter too and and perhaps you picked out that dress because you liked it or your 5-year-old picked out that dress because she really liked it and so when grandma comes in with a bigger fluffier dress <laughs> she may feel that she had to let you put it on as opposed to wearing the thing that she really wanted. But Which I, is fine. <laughs> Who cares? Let grandma put Why on she, a big fluffy dress. You know, Dan, Who gives a shit? Dan, you yeah, know most of the time, yes. <laughs> Dan, most of the time. Here's what you're reminding me of. I, I know. <laughs> when, when, when my daughter was little, you know, people always want to hold your baby. Yeah. And I never wanted anyone to hold. I didn't want strangers to hold. People would say, oh, can I hold her? She's so cute. And I didn't want them to. And I mentioned this to an old friend, and she didn't understand why I was, because she also had a small child, right? She didn't understand why it bothered me to hand the baby off. And I said, well, how would you feel if people said, oh, your husband is just so adorable. Would you mind if I just like kind of cuddled with him? And, and she said, if I was supposed to hold my husband in my arms all fucking day, I would be grateful for the offer to have strangers cuddle you know, I mean, clearly we think about these things very differently. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. I think saying. we all agree, however, <laughs> that the at-home baptism is insane. <laughs> Thank you, letter writer, for writing in. Uh, I hope that your serious conversation with Grandma will help you each stay in the correct candy cane lanes, or better yet, will help you share candy cane lane together. All right. We are now to the part of the show where we choose items or ideas or concepts that we endorse or appreciate in some way and recommend them to you. It's a part of the show I like to call recommendations. Michelle, what are you recommending today? So my recommendation is for the parents of other adult children, ask your kids for advice and not advice. Don't cheat and ask them for advice about stuff having to do with tech, because we all know that our kids know more than we do about that. I mean, acknowledging the fact that there are going to be some areas that your kids know more about than you do. They have different life experience than you do. In some cases, they have much more sophisticated experience in some areas than, than you do. And there are things that people in their 20s and early 30s know a lot more about than people who are, say, over 50 do. It doesn't happen enough. And I think it's something that those adult kids really appreciate, not to mention that we actually would learn something from them. That's a great recommendation. I would expand that a little to say that asking teenagers for advice is great. Sometimes the advice is awful, but often it's pretty good. And it really means a lot to them yes. to be incorporated into decision making in that way. And they take it very, very, very seriously, uh, as I'm sure adult children do as well. Uh, and and I like that a lot. Also, I mean, obviously, also ask them for tech help. <laughs> you, you have to do I don't know. I've been my parents' IT person for decades, and I don't know <laughs> anything. It's very sad. <laughs> Jamila, what are you recommending? 
that's related to being the tech help. One of my best friends, and we've been friends since we were eight, went to college for like computer operated business systems or something. There was something computer related to her major, but she was definitely not studying the insides of computers. She was learning how to make a bunch of money in corporate America. And (laughs) my mom, I remember once like, maybe right after college, she was complaining that her computer wasn't working. And she was like, well, call Stephanie. I was like, what do you mean? She was like, well, she studied computers. (laughs) And like, that has been... That's been a running joke for many years. That every computer, computer science major in America just nodded their head, <laughs> like, "Yeah, that fucking happens to me all the time." What's funny is that she probably could fix whatever problem it was because I'm sure it was something along the lines of the little sun button, push yeah. it, right. push it again. Right. There's right. your screen. Yeah. It came back. Okay, um, my recommendation this week is a book. I'm recommending How to Be a Family of the Year. I dragged my kids around the world to find uh, a new way together by Dan Qua. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which <laughs> I, I, I want to second that recommendation that Aww, is it's you no it's such a good book so i i don't know if it's a good book i can't say that but i did <laughs> <laughs> but i just purchased it um and with the intention of one of course reading it and supporting my colleague and editor and two i am not terribly active on the facebook page for a number of reasons i honestly just don't use facebook very much um it was one of my goals going into january that i'd be more active with the slate parenting uh facebook community and i thought that if other folks buy the book we can i don't want to set up something as rigid as a book club but we can just talk about it so that way is it good or not i don't know dan but we're going to tell you on the facebook page that you moderate (laughs) i can't wait for you to tell me all the ways that the book fell short in your estimation uh thank you that is a very sweet recommendation both of you um my recommendation is obviously also to buy my book but in addition my recommendation is so listeners will remember that the starting this summer we started watching the world's greatest ever television show buffy the vampire slayer with our kids and it's been an enormous success they are crazily into it. We are in the middle of season three, just watched this year's girl, which Buffy's fans will remember as an episode that ends in a huge cliffhanger. And now my children are driving me insane because they (laughs) want to know what happens. And we didn't have time to watch the show last night. But uh, this Saturday is the 20th anniversary of the airing of one of the all-time great Buffy episodes, Hush, a season three episode that was nominated for an Emmy for its writing. Uh, It is a Joss Whedon-written episode that takes place in a Sunnydale in which monsters have stolen everyone's voices. So the entire episode is basically a silent movie conducted between all the characters. And uh, it is a great episode of the show. It is a great episode of TV in general. I think one of the all-time great uh, single episodes of TV uh, in TV history. It also is a great kind of introduction to the show and what is fun about it. Uh, And so if you are a person who has never watched the show but has always been interested in it or who doubts that a show with such a stupid name could be good (laughs) or is maybe looking for something to watch with your kids but is not sure about the commitment – Watch this one episode, rent it for 99 cents or whatever uh, on iTunes or or wherever it's showing and uh, and just watch this episode and see what you think because it's an incredible, funny, exciting, scary hour of TV and I love it very much. Happy 20th birthday, Hush. Imagine a group of teenagers today. How long would it take them to find out that they lost their voices because they'd be too busy texting? <laughs> right. Months later, they'd be like, right. so everything seems fine. Someone called me, which is scary. And then 
<laughs> I couldn't. It would it inevitably happen on Friday at three when they were supposed to call their moms. <laughs> All right, that is our show. If you have a question you'd like to ask us on the air, leave us a message at 424-255-7833, or of course, email us at momandad at slate.com. Join us on Facebook. Just search for Slate Parenting. You will find Jamila belittling my book. Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson. For Jamila Lemieux and Michelle Herman, I'm Dan Coyce. Thanks for listening. <laughs>